0: Welcome to InsureTech Insider, coming to you live from the 11FS offices in WeWork, Devonshire Square. This is episode 41. Our baby hit the big 4.0 0 last week, and now we're growing up.
1: It's catchy up with me here.
0: <laughs> so I'm Sarah Kachansky from 11FS, and today's show is a chat about drone insurance. I am joined by my co host, Nigel Walsh. How are we today, Nigel?
1: I'm enjoying the sunshine. It's beautiful out. I
0: think we talked about the weather last week when it was absolutely pouring down.
1: I was think. it right? Oh God, okay. Yep.
0: We're having a classic British conversation about the weather. Mm-hmm. Um, drone insurance is a topic we've been excited about since we started the show. I'm sorry it's taken us so long to get the episode together, but to help us dive right in, we have some experts to tell us a bit more. So our first guest today is Anton Penner, founder of Flock. How are you today, Anton?
2: Very well, thank you. Very excited for being here.
0: Could you give us a bit of an overview about Flock, what Flock is and what
2: it does? Absolutely. In one line, we insure drones, but we did slightly differently to how the industry does it, mainly in two points. We are big believers of providing very flexible insurance. So we've got a pay-as-you-fly option. We've got a flexible subscription option option as well. And we just launched an enterprise product. And all of this um, are powered by our risk intelligence technology that basically taps into a ton of data sources to quantify their risk of any given drone flights, and then underwrite fairly at the back of it. So you only pay for what you need and for the risk you undertake.
0: Brilliant. We'll get into some that a bit more later. And um, we're also joined by Sophie Wimberd, who's back again. How are you today, Sophie? Very good, thank you. Happy to be back. Um, so you are uh, these days an associate investor at Anthemus. Mm-hmm. Could you give us a little bit of an overview or some insight, perhaps, into what Anthemus has to do with drone insurance?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, kind of on a more high level, we are really interested in how uh, drones can support and help the insurance industry be that sort of um, within the claims department, be that sort of surveying different areas. There's lots of really cool use cases, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then, of course, uh, the most important thing is through our investment in Flock. So um, we invested in these guys, um, really kind of mainly awesome team, Anton, Ed, great founders, um, but also the fact that this Amazing sort of real-time risk engine that Flock has um, to price with drone insurance is really really cool. Not only just for drones, but actually for a lot of different other lines of business. So you can see it being applicable to sort of marine, um, to aviation, scooter, even, scooter exactly, mobility. So um, yeah, as much as we are super excited about the drone insurance, I was reading somewhere it's there's it like seventy-six thousand drones are going to be in the UK within the next three years or something crazy like that. So obviously a really exciting and growing industry just by itself.
0: Or perhaps slightly scary. So let's let's take this right back to the beginning. Um, when we talk about drone insurance, I think that there are two different things we can be talking about. We can be talking about insuring drones, and we can be talking about using drones in the insurance industry more broadly. So um, Anton, do you want to give us a bit more insight into Nigel, you're gonna correct me.
1: I'm just gonna say, is there one more one as well where we say don't just ensure the pilots, but actually the people around you that you're gonna then potentially engage with not say engage with, but God forbid something happens and there's a liability claim, is the third group the third party in all this?
0: Is that something that, that Flock does, Anton, or is that you know, do you want to address that from I was gonna to point to you first, so we do, first
2: and last, so I, I can cover that, or you can. <laughs> no, Anton, please, you're the expert, you cover that. Get, definitely, you do it. So we do the former, uh, we ensure the drone and anything, any damage the drone can cause, right? So the, the, our policies cover the gadget itself, the, the equipment uh, that the aviation industry has, has named it as whole insurance, and we also cover the third-party liability, any damage that's flying object can cause in either other people or buildings around them or cars vehicles etc
0: and so what about the other type of insurance then so that's a very specific well not that specific but that's that's quite a specific proposition what other examples are there with sort of the middle group if you like where you can use drones within the insurance industry so if you mentioned a few do you want to sort of expound on those
3: yeah, so I think what's really interesting about drones is that they can be used throughout the whole sort of insurance life cycle. So you can use it at the beginning when you're assessing risk. Um, you can then use that data to sort of price that risk and then you can use it at the end with, with claims. Or so,
1: well, even mid-term adjustments, right? If you go and this, exactly. something's changed or the roof's been damaged, go look at it, right?
3: Yeah, and, and this the, the, the roof inspection is, a, is an amazing example of how much value drone can add you know, previously people would have to get up on, on ladders and look at roofs or you'd have to fly helicopters or planes over. And so actually using drones in that sort of respect um, can reduce costs quite significantly and also probably increase the the granularity and quality of that data. Um, so that's a, a great use case. The, the other one that's that's quite interesting is, is within the agriculture industry. So um, now you can use drones. I mean, Farmers have been using drones for a while now to assess their crops and to cover large sort of areas. And now insurers can use that to to more to better kind of gather um, data around, around risk.
1: It's also, if you think about it, I remember it was quite a few years ago, probably before I even got into this whole space, that I was sitting down at a FT event with a, a guy from Channel 4 on one side and a guy from insurance on the other side. And at the event, they flew a drone indoors through the thing, saying here's some cool things that we're going to do. And actually the use case for it was... Um, the second one around crops and i 'll come back to said, it in a sec. it's actually quite fascinating um but the I said to the insurance guy so where where would we use that in insurance being completely new to the whole space and he said straight away what about the inside of a hole so if you 're in marine insurance you don't want to send people or whatever else inside these uh, dangerous situations and want to get insides out in a really quick way it was a great a great example of actually let's not put a human being at risk let's put a drone at risk yeah. and if it goes up it's either ninety nine quid or 400 quid or Lots more money, depending if you are got a commercial drone, um, as to whether these, these things go um, go out of service or not. The actual use case, though, was back to your agricultural one. I keep forgetting. I always seem to default back to property inspections or whatever else. But actually, it was used in a competition where there was people set to say, tell me when my crops are, are ripe. And the first group ran in and took pictures looking up at the coconut trees. The second group ran in, it was three teams. Second group ran in, put a ladder up, went up and checked the, the, checked the crop. The third group had 24 by 7 drones literally flying over the field and used thermal, thermal imaging to work out whether they were ripe or not. So it was a fascinating way to go. They're oh, now good yeah. to go. Off you go. It's so innovative, right?
0: Yeah. So so let's let's bring it back to to the, the the insurance of drones and then and bring it back out a bit. I think this is when this conversation is going to expand and contract. But um, when we're you know the, those are the kind of the, the endless possibilities. But if we're talking about a drone that anybody listening might own at home because they are as we we're just talking about they're quite affordable, why can't I just insure that on my contents insurance? Why can't I just you know add it to, to my home insurance?
2: Very good question. So first of all, drones are classified as aircrafts by the Civil Aviation Agency. So you you would need an insurance to um, an aviation policy level um, to to make sure that that, that's covered accordingly, right?
0: And is that for all drones, even if I've got one of the sort of 100-quid pocket-sized ones as opposed to the...
2: So the the connotation here or the detail here is that uh, if you're a commercial operator... Aka, you're flying for money. Basically, that's that's the high level definition. Um, you have to have an insurance policy that um, covers a bunch of very detailed requirements set by the European regulator, right? If you're a hobbyist, if if you're flying for fun, at the moment there's no insurance requirements, uh, but you would be liable for any damage you you um, generate with with that drone, right? So. We offer three different types of policies, one for commercial operators that answers to the the legal requirements of of insurance, one for recreational uh, pilots that covers the third party mainly, any damage they may generate with, with that. And we also provide a third one for training pilots that are basically going from being a recreational pilot to a commercial pilot.
0: So an interesting question there, and I don't know if anyone around this table can answer it, but there are plenty of recreational pilots out there who I've seen who are not exactly in control. What happens if they, and they're dangerous, some of these things. My colleague who sits next to me, said, you're doing drone insurance today. And I said, yes. And he held up his hand. And I said, what's that? And he tried to grab my boyfriend's drone and he's got this like huge slice in his finger. Now that was, you know, his own you know he admitted that was his own fault but what if you are flying a recreational drone and you hurt somebody else like they're
1: actually in the news quite a lot so i I have a similar incident where i nearly chop the top of my finger off with a drone by trying to catch my own drone and (laughs) you don't realize when you hold the thing individually that they're lightweight they're great you don't realize how quick these things move and my god it hurt for quite a while um the most recent one in the press was uh, i think that's not recent actually i saw a where a baby's eye had been sliced out. Honestly, you just have to Google incidents with drones and you don't... No, don't Google that. Right, it's probably not a good idea. (laughs) But there are many, many things out there. But there is no requirement whatsoever for a personal person to have um, uh, insurance in the same way that you you could argue, I could be cycling down the road and I don't necessarily need insurance if I run into someone. If I'm cycling at 20 or 30 miles an hour and I hit you, equally, it's going to hurt just as much. So it's really, really... Um, quite a contentious point now folks have, there's a decent drone code that's out there which i'm sure we'll go into in a minute um, there's a a number of recreational um flying clubs out there that offer drone insurance for people which covers some of the liability stuff um, I guess the other question is how many claims have been made never mind how many accidents we know there's loads of accidents But how many claims have been made for people that have been crashed into landed upon or flown into or whatever else? I, I have no idea
2: so I can speak about our own case. Yeah. Um we've had no liability claims so far. Um and, and we believe that this is mainly um because of how seriously we take the, the risk mitigation side of things, right? We as uh, as you know, if you've played with our app, you'll see how we constantly help you understand what the risks are and, and how you can mitigate them. So far, no liability claims, neither from commercial or recreational pilots. That's amazing. I don't know what um, the situation is with other,
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, I, but I think the fact that people are buying insurance in the first place indicate a level of sensibility that they want to protect the kit that they're they're doing, for, they're using first and foremost, and secondly, actually, we don't want to do it in an area that's full of children or
2: other people or anything like that. So, absolutely, I think it's worth noting that there are already some countries that require. Insurance for every single uh, drone flight, right? No mm-hmm. matter the type of operator. Your Germany, for example, um, has a legal requirement for mm-hmm. anyone that that flies drones, and we believe that that will slowly start expanding to other territories as um, well.
0: I was going to say that. That seems to me. Um, what I'm also thinking about is um, going back to cat insurance, one of my favorite subjects. Um, as well, in meow? No, Nigel. We've been through this. <laughs> You're the, one with the cat. Um, the shutting down Gatwick Airport. For two days, because of a drone. Yes. Like, mm. surely, the, surely Gatwick Airport has now had to go to whoever its insurer is and go, maybe you can speak to a little bit, Sophie, I don't know, but, like, help, we need, you know, cover for mm. what our airport... The airport was covered for shutdown for fire and rain and acts of God and whatever else, but some idiot flying a drone. Yeah,
3: exactly. Well, how, do, how do you deal with that? And, you know, it costs... I, I can't remember the axe figure, but it costs a lot of money for mm. them. And I think that I there's a really interesting... Here, sort of, um, role for insurance in this, which is drones is a very em- emerging industry. Uh, regulation is still sort of being formed. I think a lot of regulators have tended to sort of say, well, actually, we're going to uh, think that this is a really bad thing and we're kind of going to overregulate it. Whereas insurance could have a really interesting role in actually helping the industry self regulate itself. So, Flock tells you when to fly what's safe and if it is unsafe then it will up the price and you probably won't do it so hopefully that will help so you used drones. to risk
1: insights you get to say actually don't fly now because it's high wind or fly later whatever yeah, it might be exactly sorry did you want to
2: yeah i think it is worth noting that in our case and, and back to the gadwick example um we will stop you from flying um close to an airport for example Right. I don't think the Gatwick case was a case where the pilot didn't know they were flying next to an airport. It was deliberate. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If for some reason um, someone was actually too close and they didn't realise they could m- expose themselves to an accident with a plane, for example, what would stop them from flying. You bang. just made
1: me think, does your policy therefore uncover in- or include things
2: like cyber and terrorism? So yes, it does, uh, mainly because one of the requirements of that European uh, insurance regulation in the aviation space requires it. So we cover um, hijack and terrorism risks. Yes, well,
0: I just was going to um, talk uh, about the the talking about the to me that sounds like a future. So it's a future risk. So insurance, we we quite often talk about like it's. something that has happened in the past so you're claiming that something something's already happened and a lot of the time you're also using historical data to underwrite those to mm-hmm. write those policies whereas with drone insurance when we're talking about insuring the, the drones themselves the people around them a lot of it to me feels very future looking so to the one hand it's quite you know the obvious future looking don't fly today there's very high winds the likelihood of you killing somebody or somebody's dog is you know mm-hmm. too high don't it's not worth it um but also how how about the the data picture so you talked about your risk modeling uh, mm-hmm. engine I'd like to know a little bit more about that because you can't have that much data to build. You can't have that much historic data to build this on, I'm guessing.
2: So that, that's a very, very interesting point. And the main reason why we started working in this area, right? If if you look at any other high volume market, you will always have a ton of historical data to um, run actual science on, right? In, in any new market like the, the drones market, there's no such data. So there's, there's no understanding of what could actually happen if your only strategy is to look Back, right. That's why we started building a set of algorithms that would actually look into the context, the ability of the pilots, um, how weather looks like, for example, around you, um, to, to try to build a very scientific picture of the real risk around that flight. Right. If we look at the the drone space, we can see how um, drone insurance um, started becoming a thing in the UK. Prices. Skyrocketed very, very quickly because no one really knew what they were covering, mm-hmm. right? As soon as we came in and we provided that analytical, mathematical view of risk, without mm-hmm. that historical data, we managed to actually provide a more fair pricing model that um, remunerated or incentivized safety and, in a way, um, let's say, penalized. Um, negligent behavior right
0: and just i I want to talk a little bit about how that model can be used um, elsewhere which you mentioned at the beginning sophie but um this might be a very stupid question but can you take historical data from things like helicopter flights Mm. can you can you use other data sources to feed into that model i'm only thinking about helicopters because they're the same thing i can think of that's got rotary blades on top as well um but but can is that is that i think that happens
2: that's, that's definitely one of the strategies we've, okay. we've followed here, right? When, when looking into the drone space and what risk was, there are a ton of research projects looking into the mathematical uh, probabilities of planes having accidents, of um, helicopters behaving in specific um, ways depending on where they are, um, or depending on the, the wind forces, et cetera, right? So all of that scientific research is what's underneath the, the set of technology with that? With absolutely.
0: Okay, so it wasn't that stupid a question then. No, at all.
2: A... I, I wasn't laughing one bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it Adam was, a, was very kind.
1: It was. I, I'm, I'm actually laughing to myself because we keep talking about drones and it's the right way to, 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 to call about them or, or to frame them. But I once got called out by someone saying to me, Nigel, you do realise drones are actually armed combat things as opposed yeah. to UAVs, which are... Unmanned. They can be, uh, yeah. they can be. But I think the, the given name that the everyday user, i.e. us, calls them are drones, and it's acceptable to say they, these are unarmed flight <laughs> things with cameras.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, though it depends if you grab the blades, apparently they are quite dangerous. <laughs> um, that's that's just stupidity. <laughs> um just to decide just take, I, think, I believe a famous singer did that on the stage I think it might have been uh, Enrique Iglesias who yes. yeah. it lost oh, like yes. two fingers or something I put my hand in the air for the listeners who have I was recreating the movement he was on stage in front of loads of people and he put his hand up to grab the groan and I think he, he had, ended up to cancel his gig
2: because he's Is like, that similar to what happened to you Nigel? No I've still got all my fingers in the <laughs> I'm never on the stage of the, big, the big stage on that. So
0: Sometime I'll tell you about an ex-colleague of mine who put his hand into the back of his lawnmower whilst it was running.
1: We can't insure against that. Yeah. We yeah, really yeah, that. That's, <laughs> that's the <laughs> it's agriculture the issue. Yeah.
0: Um, to to go back to the, the the salient point there. So that's that's the model that you have, and it's working very well for drone insurance. And and you've sort of linked you know where, where you're getting those data from and how you're building those models. Um, but as we said, it, it, because it's a new type of model and because you're using data in a different way, you've got different sort of underwriting, if you like. What else can we use this for? So, say, if you, do, you, do you want to get um expand on a few of those things you yeah, mentioned earlier? and
3: I, I think like one of the really super exciting things about Flock is that um it moves insurance into like something that I get really excited about, which is more of this like um preemptive proactive insurance rather than reactive. So, um, that if it is you know unsafe, risky to fly, then we will tell you and we will inform you. And some of the other things, I mean, you can kind of see um for example taking out sailing boats um so the hyper hyper local weather that flock uses can be really interesting and if you want to go out and and understand sort of your risk of sailing on a specific day in a specific area that's pretty exciting um obviously kind of translates pretty well to to other aviation things maybe your helicopters (laughs) um maybe others and and actually you know I know that it's a, a pretty robust, established industry, but motor, you know, and, and mobility.
0: Yeah. And what, and what comes into my mind before we get Nigel started on scooters and the need for insurance um, is uh, even sort of a hill walking. So hill walking is a very, very old pastime. and um, Niche. I, it's not <laughs> that niche. The number of people who've died this yeah, year. So true. my point being, climate change has meant that people who historically knew what they were doing when they were going out onto mountains no longer have reliable patterns because they expect to go out in May and it to be
1: safe, and there's a, su- a sudden mm-hmm. snowstorm, so it's
0: not that niche. Yeah, that I was is true. Actually, the, back the of Segway. We
1: are wishes, what, marshal, didn't. The Segway found the die on the cliff.
0: Yeah, he went back. The and, yeah, that's just stupid again. again. My <laughs> point was that if you're talking about predicting risk and weather is important, there are a huge number of sports you could do. It skiing, you could talk about, you know, rock climbing. I, I'm, I'm interested in this idea of. Predictive, and it's just the way you know predictive insurance. Yeah, yeah. Because we talk an awful lot about it when we're talking about home insurance, right? That's what we tend to talk about. It like you've got a leak, do something now before you have to call a plumber. But the idea of using it for sort of sporting activities and driving hadn't occurred to me until we start talking about it today. Now, George, would you like to talk about scooters?
1: No. Oh, <laughs> you sure? don't like scooters? No, but you your point about motor and these, I mean, if you look at the the the, I mean, we're moving away from driving slowly, but, but the advent of lidar and all these things, everything's like to look ahead. There's a video on YouTube about how a Google car sees the road and the amount of data points that it can see is far greater than any human capability and far broader, wider. The spectrum, the insights is amazing. And I go back to the stuff that you talked about at the very beginning, Anton, around actually, is this a real-time data processing platform? Actually... And I think you and I and Ed spoke about this a long time ago, is are we going to be a drone insurance company forever? Or are we going to use this amazing technology that we've built to apply it to other things, such as scooters? So you've got location, you've got um, real-time insights, you know where things are going. It's no different than flying, uh, doing a flight for 15 minutes and jumping on a scooter for 15 minutes, is it?
2: That's a rhetorical question, and I don't. Yes, absolutely. Um, this this is something we're we're now looking into. We're we're working with a bunch of underwriters, exploring other industries, other verticals, and other risks. So I think it's worth uh, talking about how everything works without disclosing too much yeah? Um, and is that risk and the understanding of risk hasn't. Inherently changed, yeah. Um, or, or at least we haven't changed it, right? The the truth is that the the foundations or the or the base of um, how risk is calculated is not changed by uh, us or our algorithms, right? We look into these two uh, basic concepts that are um, the probability and severity of of the risk, and we use that to then look into how we price that, right? What we do at that point is bring third party data sources. Historically, um, these two blocks or concepts would be calculated with historical data. Um, with us, we calculate the probability and the severity by using third party data sources. So it doesn't really matter if we're looking at a drone or a plane or a scooter, um, as long as we get hold of the data sources that actually inform the the, the risk of um, driving, flying these yeah, vehicles.
1: But you've, 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 you've gone back to, I can say you've quite a few times then, you've gone back to um, the broader debates that I have around is every insure tech solving the core system challenge? And you've basically highlighted in my mind that you've built better technology, faster, more efficient, lack of legacy, leveraging third-party data that can be applied to anything. It actually sounds better when you say it.
0: (laughs) Don't tell him that.
1: But that's my point. My my point is insurers, banks, they are riddled with legacy or heritage technology. That just means it's slower to do stuff. And if I go to a modern platform like yourself that has multiple um, applications, then
2: outstanding. Absolutely. I think it, it is worth uh, mentioning that by changing the way we, we calculate risk, we're not just optimizing books, we're not just providing uh, more fair pricing, we're also unlocking new uh, ways of distributing insurance, right? Like if you're able to have an actor in a box, basically, and um, come up with a very smart price for every single rest, suddenly you can either automate the whole process or have third-party partners such as flight schools in in the drone space or uh, flight clubs, as you said before, or that rental company that gives you a scooter selling insurance for you, right? So suddenly the game is completely changed by the way you underwrite.
0: So, But you you are underwritten by a partner, right? Is it Allianz?
2: Correct. So <laughs> in the drone space, um, yes, we're we're underwritten by Allianz, and we broke insurance. We distribute insurance directly, right? It is true that we're looking into other models and we'll probably disclose um, how that model looks um, shortly. So, so
0: actually, so when, when Nigel's obsessed with core systems... Is he? Yeah. Really <laughs> <am> <laughs> so are you? He hasn't yet mentioned the V word, the, the V phrase, but we'll, we'll see if we get to that. Um, the, uh, the fact that a lot of insure, insure techs have, have this brilliant technology, but you, you are still underwritten by, by the big players. And I, I, for one, would like to see people succeed without that happening. I'm not saying it has to be you, but I, I was just trying to thinking through the, the, the value chain in my head as to kind of that's the last step mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Um, but you saying that, you know, you're exploring other models
2: and I will come back to you on that when but it's why, public. <laughs>
1: why wouldn't Allianz do it directly?
2: That is a very good question. And uh, that is Their call something that systems, <laughs> <could> Nigel. <happen. laughs>
1: Very good answer. I shall leave it there. <laughs> On the V word, I'm not going to mention it, but is there a view in your mind that at some point you expand out? I look at people like Haggerty in North America that did classic car insurance. Mm-hmm. They then went and bought a sharing economy style rental platform for sharing your vehicles with other people. Is there a thing that says, actually, we're going to enable from Flock you to come to us not just get the insurance, but get the drone and get the person to go do the survey at the same time? Or is there
2: partnerships in an ecosystem together there? I think the way we see us interacting with the industry is by becoming part of that industry, right? It doesn't yeah. It doesn't necessarily have to be that we own everything, yeah. but we do like working with players that are already embedded, and maybe incumbents is not the right word here, um, to provide smart insurance within an existing workflow, right? Let's say you go to a retailer and buy a drone, as you probably did, and insurance is part of it, or it comes with some form of code. It's
1: embedded and invisible, right? You get the first month free, or you get X number of hours flying time free of charge. I looked at my stats the other day, and the amount of time that I've flown is actually very depressing. Um, But you could do it by number of days or flying time, so actually you've always got peace of mind. Actually, in the kit that i've got it's a dgi kit standard sort of um off-the-shelf stuff but what you get is it actually tells you where you can and where you can't fly back to a point about airports. so i live near a small regional tiny little um recreational airfield and if i go too far down the road it says you can't fly because you're too close to the two mile mark or whatever it might be so you get an alert on your phone that tells take you... off, it actually stops me taking off
0: Oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. So with things like scooters, you're like, you're on a pavement, pal. Um, <laughs> to stall this the scooter. Yeah, I would... Oh, my God. Just, just, Can you imagine? <laughs> so, yeah. imagine? today. But there was one of the scooter companies, I can't remember where it was, in San Francisco, where, an electronic one, where the Bird. brakes were failing. Oh. And the brakes were failing. And then the other thing it had was it was suddenly accelerating. So these scooters <laughs> oh, were like, oh. in like, somewhere like San Francisco, where there are a huge number of yeah. hills, um, and it was kind of like, you're just saying, suddenly stalling. Um they would need insurance for accidents. Um, just to, to sort of come back to the point of that kind of value chain and who's doing what where, what about investors? So Amphimus, you know, you're, you, you have a close relationship with Flock in particular, um, but kind of is is the drone insurance either sort or any sort something that, that you're particularly interested in right now, whether that's companies that are using drones to help with catastrophe insurance or, you know, uh, loss insurance or whether that's, you know. People who are actually insuring drones is that a particular area of interest to, to investors generally?
3: Yeah, so I think so. So I, I was looking at some stats. We oh, love stats. Yep. Um, and um, there was a report that said that drones could add forty two billion pounds to UK GDP by twenty thirty. Wow. And that the it, the report estimates that six hundred and twenty eight thousand people will be working in the drone economy by twenty thirty in well. the UK. In the UK. Wow. Yeah, which is it's a lot,
1: right? So. There was a thing, just to play onto that, there was a thing about loss adjusters, about how drones will will pretty much remove the industry entirely. So you could argue those jobs haven't been taken away by a robot or a drone or whatever, yep. but they've just shifted to a different place.
0: Yeah, are those the, the loss adjusters, the people who would go out and take a picture of your house?
1: Correct. So they're the guys that'll do exactly the the assessment to work out what loss has been, um, they need to look at. And they're the guys that you mentioned earlier that would go up a ladder or take pictures or walk around the building, or whatever else. Okay,
0: right.
3: Yeah, and so it's it's, It's kind of a little bit sort of like AI, which is, it might not be completely kind of destroying jobs, but it's just moving the talent that is needed for specific jobs. So, you know, that it's all around the sort of, um, again, sort of how we use drones and the knock-on effect of that. So if you think about it just at a basic level, drones allow you to get aerial footage of X. So it may be um real estate, it may be farms, it could be anything. So that's one part of it. So you need the drone suppliers to make the drones, you need the people to fly the drones. But once you've got that data, that's usually, you know, a lot of data that is not particularly interpretable. So you then need someone to translate that data into something meaningful. Then you will need companies who will go into specific companies who need that data and then be able to analyze it and use that data to help the company do X, Y, and Z. So for, you know, in insurance, it could be, uh, you know, claims or it could be risk. Um, you know, the other use cases uh film it uses quite a bit agriculture uses a bit so there's lots of different companies in the value chain of 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 drones that we find really interesting and then uh, at the same with any kind of industry technology is evolving so quickly you know there are there are autonomous drones now that that will um there's there's a drone in a box so you you put it in the middle of your farm and you set it to go off but you know once every week and it will fly around and it will come back and I think once we kind of figure out the beyond line of sight regulation which mm-hmm. uh, you know at the moment no drone could be flown beyond the line of sight of the flyer interesting the, okay. the flyer
0: is that the right
3: word pilot, pilot. pilot. <laughs> operator <laughs> operator I would Here like naval
1: aviator a flyer no?
0: flyer okay. is fine yeah
3: okay <laughs> <laughs> um.
1: Anton and I are laughing it's <laughs> <laughs> not a flyer flyer it's fly. <laughs> thing you give to someone for a nightclub at the pub tonight he's a flyer okay Pilot.
3: Pilot. Pilot. Um, so that obviously <laughs> restricts some of the use cases, but I think, I hope that, that and I know you can get, um, sometimes you can get um, exemptions from that regulation, but I, I assume as the drone industry evolves and matures, we'll be able to
2: get past that. I think, I think it's worth mentioning that there are already a bunch of companies in the UK with exemptions from the okay. CEA to run tests the online of sites, uh, some of them are, are operating commercially. Um, so the the industry and, and the country is definitely moving towards that scenario. I don't think that's a futuristic landscape mm. we're imagining that, that will happen in the next two, three years. It,
1: it's funny, because I, 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 I'm a member of a couple of Facebook groups for um, the DJI Mavic Pro, but it's always, I know, share it, don't, it's just... My wife laughs at so many things. Don't join her. Anyway.
0: You set yourself up. I know, I know,
1: I know. Anyway, but I'm only a member because I'm such a novice flyer pilot (laughs) that I want to know what the tips and tricks are. These guys do some amazing videos. The thing that always makes me laugh was none of these guys that post these super cool videos... Ever have the drone in line of sight? I mean, you literally people do. Mm. Look how far yeah. I've been. I've been out seven kilometers and back again. I can't see like 100 meters. mine's seven kilometers. So there's some really cool things out there. But I think there's a blatant disregard for the rules.
0: Yeah. Presumably, there's also a, a how high up can you go? Because some of the, the very powerful drones, presumably, you can go out the line of sight is and
2: above the clouds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now, the- nowadays, drones are definitely way more powerful than what you can legally do, right? So it is, it is fairly It's just star flying and keep going, going, going. And oh, by you wouldn't realise um, yeah. you just broke the rules. It's fairly classic The technology has outpaced the, the legislation. Absolutely.
1: Is it any different than a car being able to go faster than 70 miles an hour? Yeah. It's no different, right? You could argue, You could, and actually some of the cars now are limiting you to certain amounts of certain speeds but they're never you to the speed limit
0: yeah it's always a few they, they, they've actually done that deliberately it has to be like five miles an hour over so that you can overtake or in an emergency or whatever else it is um just i had one more one more question before we need to start wrapping up which is we talked quite a lot about the personal use of drone and commercial use of drones i just wanted to touch on the the sort of maybe pie in the sky idea of the likes of drone deliveries so if you start looking at like Amazon, I think it's Amazon. One of them are saying they're going to like deliver your parcels via drones, so they can um, access inaccessible places. You know, you you kind of laugh at it as oh, that's a whim, but actually, there is a serious use case for that. If you're trying to deliver, I don't know, aid to people in hard to reach places, um, do we do we think that there's that commercial model has has legs or wings or wings or rotary blades? Or we really haven't had that many of those puns i like, oh, I'm winging
3: There's it. There's so today. many, so many drones.
1: It will never take off.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that just flew right over me.
0: I just, Nigel hasn't been droning on at all. Oh. <laughs> um, commercial drones, deliveries, commercial deliveries.
2: Yeah, so it is definitely something that's happening. We all hear about Amazon trying to do these things, but there are a ton of companies trying to um, either test different applications or, or run different um, trials. Mm-hmm included in the uk right so there's a company called skyboards that's doing a fantastic job um of running a bunch of these tests to demonstrate that it is possible they already have an exemption um and and we'll see them soon um running some of this um trial so looking forward to it um i don't know what
1: my favorite story from this was first of may this year we delivered in we the us delivered the first organ which was a kidney um, the the flight took five minutes. It was all approved, and whatever else through regulation. But we're now starting to investigate moving uh, organs and and um, medical stuff through drone uh, drone flights in in a fashion. First of May on the news, absolutely everywhere. Seeing that take off, no pun intended. I think it's really important because you see the bikes going around town getting stuck in traffic or blue lighted through things to save lives. That's amazing, right?
0: Well, I mean, so what my, yeah, my point was going to be, obviously, there was pro- in my mind, there's a need for exemptions in, in certain circumstances. It can benefit. And uh, I have a, a, I know somebody who works for Madison Frontier and they're talking about delivering vaccines and things into hard-to-reach areas because yeah. they have to be kept at a particular temperature. Yeah. It's very hard to do that and they're, they're very fragile. It's very hard to do that on the back of a van in a place that hasn't got roads. You do it via a drone, it's much safer. But, What happens when we get to the point where the airs are congested? Like if the road's congested, what happens when we've got so many drones? If Amazon has its way and there are as many drones in the air as there are yodel drivers, it's going to be carnage up there. Has anybody thought about that yet?
2: I think... No, you go. Absolutely. That that, that is a big topic in the industry. Um, And there are a bunch of companies working... Um, in, in that space, it is called the, the UTM, the UAV Traffic Management Project. <coughs> um, and NASA included is, is trying to, to um, resolve that, right? Google has a project, and we've got a great company in the UK, Altitude Angel, that's also developing software for that. The idea is to be able to, to manage all of these flying uh, gadgets, in a way that don't crash with each other. It is probably slightly early to think that the airspace will be overly congested by drones, but we definitely see it happening.
0: Well, even if it's not overly congested, I mean, can you imagine if you have one of those medical drones that collides with an Amazon drone? So Amazon's bringing you your new, you know, whatever it is you've ordered, your, your new digital <laughs> toy, whatever Nigel's favorite toy is this week, his new iPhone probably, if he's broken another one yet, <laughs> um, collides with, you know, a, a drone that's delivering a heart. That's hugely problematic. You've got to
1: prioritise it, accordingly. I mean, I, I don't think I'd have any objection to a drone delivering stuff to the house. I mean, at the moment, you could argue, there's so many arguments around carbon footprint and all that sort of good stuff to say, actually, it's much safer, better for the environment and what's not. I mean, we get, let's assume we get an Amazon delivery twice a week to the house or for whoever. If that was to turn up in the middle of, maybe you fly them at night. Maybe you do deliveries when everything else is quiet mm. and it still gets there in oh, short order. Oh, but
0: the noise, though. Oh, you had a sensible point, I'm sure. Um, I was just going to say,
3: I was reading an article and they made um, the analogy of how you need uh, flight traffic controllers for aeroplanes and how many of them you need. I can't remember the numbers, so it's really frustrating, but how many of them you need for how little flights. And so if you think about that in, in terms of the sky and drones, then actually whoever's going to figure that out is going to play a very... It's not a
1: human
2: task, is it? It needs
1: to be done by machine learning, by technology and everything else. Yes, absolutely. Good job
0: NASA's involved then. Mm -hmm.
2: There's a really cool project that Manchester Airport ran, I think two, three months ago, um, trying to trial how um, automated traffic management um, could actually help airports app control these drones.
0: Well, when you look at the air traffic controllers, I believe can only work for ten minutes at a time because the job, the intense concentration it's required yeah, to make yeah. sure that it's all right. They're only allowed to work. For, I can't remember what it is, but I think it's like ten minutes off, 20, 20, 10 minutes on, twenty minutes off. If you can get a machine doing that, I mean, yes, we're putting people out of work, but it feels safer, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she says. <laughs> <laughs> sure have you ever wh- flown a drone? No. Would you like to have a go? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good with with. I assume you use them like as a, a, a like a, a like a game controller or something. Pretty like much. The joystick. Yeah, or you can just do
1: as Anton said. You do um, line of sight. You could do you could control it through the controller or through an iPhone or whatever else. So you can literally go fly from there to there to there to there and land and off you go.
2: You can and, you can tell to follow you. Yes, you can. Yeah, yeah. you follow can you. tell it to follow you.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I like the idea of that. We'll,
1: we'll um, revisit
0: that, but we like, should just as a, it make as a a side,
3: side note. Um, so I got stuck in a, um, a drone YouTube poll this morning. That happens. And, um, that happens. And uh, did you know that there are drone like leagues and game like sporting events? We had right? it in London
1: recently the drone yeah. championship. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, Go
3: and like Google that. It is insane. It looks so much fun. It is a massive,
0: massive venture. Yeah. And on that note I'm going to leave us on a light note um, I am going to wrap up this round table Laura has written me a pun it has flown by so thank you so much to everyone
1: um, She was laughing as she was working I looked yeah. across and she was chuckling away to
2: herself
0: um, Where can our listeners find out more about you so if you've got a website or a Twitter handle you want to share with our listeners Anton?
2: Absolutely It's a website FlockCover C-O-V-E-R dot com FlockCover and if you want to follow us on Twitter at FlockCover we'll be there
3: Perfect. Sophie? Uh, so, if you want to get in touch with Anthemus, we are on anthemus.com. And then on Twitter, I am at Sophie Winwood.
1: And how about you, Nigel? I am at Nigel Walsh on Twitter.
0: And you can find me at Sarah Kachansky on Twitter, as always. Uh, so that wraps up another Insure Tech Insider. Thank you so much to all of our guests, to Anton, to Sophie, and to my co-host, Nigel. As always, you can find the show on Twitter at Insiders. And if you like what you've heard this week, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And please, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you have any suggestions or feedback, please reach out on Twitter or email podcast at 11fs.com. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.